0: Hello and welcome to the SEO SAS podcast where your hosts are myself, Sarah McDowell, SEO specialist at Like Mind Media and also the lovely, wonderful and just awesome Hannah Bryce, SEO manager at Holland & Barrett. Why are we called SEO SAS? Well, we are called SEO SAS because we are your special answering service when it comes to SEO. Quite frankly, me and Hannah are nerds on the subject and we love nothing more than getting our teeth stuck in to a topic related to SEO and discussing it on the podcast, getting you answers and actionable things to do. This show is brought to you by the team at Like Mind Media. Like Mind Media help clients find their audience and start having conversations with them, whether that's on social media, content, or even podcasts, just like this one. We're actually using their podcasting equipment right now. They're super lovely people who take time to understand your business and think like. Aww, you. thanks, Hannah. Now. On this week's episode, Hannah unfortunately can't join us, but do not fret my friends because I have a special guest joining joining me this week and that special guest is Jasmine Granton, who is the digital PR consultant who specializes in media relations and outreach at era. Hello Jasmine. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to speak to you. Thank you very much for agreeing to come on.
1: Not a problem at all. How are we doing? Good. Yeah. All things considered, good. It's a it's a good thing to do on your lunch break, recording a podcast, because it kind of breaks up the day a little bit. How are you doing? Yes.
0: I mean, I'm I'm staying sane and working from home, and social distancing hasn't like made me go insane quite yet but working from home and virtual sort of socials are sort of losing their novelty for me a little bit I don't know I like human connection but I know it's important everyone needs to do their bit stay home stay away from
1: people but yes I think the first week, everything, everyone was on Zoom doing like pub quizzes and obviously house party, the app was like a huge, huge thing that everyone was on. And at first it did feel quite exciting and new and you're going to reconnect with all these people. And then, yeah, two weeks in, I'm kind of back to being like, oh, I just want to see people and go to the pub and go <laughs> to go to Tesco and not have to queue for half an hour to get in. But it was essential.
0: Yeah. So we UK have been on sort of restrictions for about two weeks, haven't we? Yeah, it feels a lot longer. It does feel a lot longer. It does. It very much does. But yeah, you we, we just got to do your bit. And, and I am, after this podcast, I am going to go and tackle
1: the shops. So I'm going to see what that situation's like. It sounds like they've replenished the shelves a little bit. I think people are normalising shopping again and it's now possible to get toilet roll. So that's... Happy news. days. Happy, happy days.
0: <laughs> so... I think a good place to sort of start today is to get to know you. To begin with, can you tell us a brief overview of yourself and how you got into this industry?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, so I'm originally from a little town called Bridlington in East Yorkshire. Uh, I now live in Bedford and work in Milton Keynes. So I guess how I got into the industry, I worked in traditional PR at the RSPB, the wildlife charity. I did that for a little while and kind of fell in love with PR as a whole and looking after a brand and working with the press and journalists on a daily basis. But I think there was just a little bit lacking of the measurement or the results or the actual impact that that really had for a brand. So I applied for a role at Error as a digital PR exec nearly 18 months ago now. Hmm. And I think that's when I really started to understand what SEO was and what digital PR was and link building. I think my interview there would have been pretty shocking looking back now because I'm not sure I had a clue what the difference was between traditional or digital. But rest assured, a little bit of time in the industry, I now do have a good grasp of it. So that's kind of how I got to this point. It was almost accidental, but PR was the focus, but turning it digital and with the focus of link building was what really got me excited. That's really interesting. And I love asking people how they got into this industry
0: because there were so many different Like stories and how people got into it so it's quite interesting that you started off with a charity they are classed as a charity
1: aren't they? Yes yeah yeah Yeah. They're they're a conservation charity the biggest in Europe so it was a great role to get before that I'd been a social media manager so had kind of gone from digital to then into kind of quite a traditional PR press officer role back to digital so I think that's where I feel most comfortable. Ah, okay, and so you
0: sort of like were drawn to digital and you felt quite
1: like at home in in digital, would you say yeah. yeah, I think like the social media role was great, but it it didn't quite sit right with me, but the bit I loved about it was the content creation the writing that kind of and communicating with people. I'm a people person, so talking to people is you know a, a big part of my job now, and then you know the r s p b that was a great role, and it was. Again, really exciting. A little bit of kind of as a charity as any charity has a little bit of crisis management or Mm. handling the press and messaging and looking after the brand. And I really enjoyed that part. But I think what it was lacking was the diversity. So moving to agency side was something that I was really keen on. And then when I found the error, the breadth of clients they had, the breadth of work and the kind of opportunities I think they had or they were offering was exactly what I was looking for. So I just kind of landed on my feet, really. I've worked in both. I've done sort of
0: like in-house digital, in-house digital. In-house digital? I mean, (laughs) in-house agency, in-house agency. And I prefer agency just because, like you say, the variety and the different sort of campaigns or even clients or different industries or different ideas. Yeah, every day there's something different or there's a new challenge or yeah, I just love agency side. Could you tell our listeners a fact that most people
1: don't know about yourself? So it's, it's not something that most people wouldn't know, but I guess people in this industry who potentially haven't met me in person, uh, a lot of the people I communicate with are on Twitter, but uh, I have 22 tattoos. um, One of which is a bowl of ramen. So people often, Find that a little bit odd. 20, right. Hang on. I've, I've got two <laughs> questions
0: there. So, twenty-two tattoos. Yeah. Wow.
1: Which that? I, if you look at my picture on Twitter, I don't think you can see a single one. Well, when we were talking beforehand, I didn't see any any tattoo. And the ball of ramen. Ramen. Sorry. Tell tell me about that. Well, that's just a bit of an odd one. I mean, ramen's is my favorite food, so I just thought. Why the hell not? Uh, I've got a few (laughs) random ones. Most of them are kind of relatively normal. I've got like a fox, I've got a rabbit, I've got a sailor girl, I've got Amy Winehouse. I've got lots of different things. Most of them have kind of some meaning or, or something. Some of them are just a little bit random, but yeah, I have, I did actually have a plan for another one next week, but obviously that won't be happening. So yeah, I think within lockdown will be the longest I've not had a tattoo for a couple of years. Well, they do say tattoos
0: are... Ah, that word has... Addictive. There we go. Yeah, tattoos are true. addictive.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> Unexpensive. So it's not something you want to be addicted to, but they do. As soon as I have one, I'm planning my next one. I love them. Now that we know about you and your tattoos... <laughs> And your favorite food. We we
0: got you on today to discuss getting links and coverage without spending a ton of money. And I thought this was a really good topic because quite a few of our listeners are going to be businesses who don't have a lot of business. Not uh, words. I can't say yeah. words today. Don't have a lot of money or resource, and also might sort of shy away from like PR campaigns because they think that oh I can't afford it it like they need a massive budget so I think this is going to be a really good sort of topic to delve into so two questions to start off with can it be done on a small budget and if so how?
1: Yeah, I mean, it absolutely can be done. I can see why people might think it can't be because when you look at the world of digital PR, it is surrounded by kind of big, glossy set piece campaigns that you know have had designers and developers and big data pools and that kind of stuff. So I think as a small business owner, it would be daunting to look at it and think that's something that I simply can't afford to do. But there's lots of different tips and different tactics that if you take a little step back, just kind of rely on your expert knowledge as a brand. So I think the kind of important thing to remember is that most journalists are simply looking for a story. You know, it's all well and good creating these big interactive pieces, like, I don't know, big interactive maps or indexes, which 100% work, and it's something that we do at Era for some of our clients, and they're really successful, but it's not completely necessary all the time. Um, So I guess there's a few different ways that you can to, to like do this, to build links. So the first thing is that you can do a straightforward data pool in-house, which can be pretty cheap. And then there's lots of different simple tools like Infogram. So for example, you could take some government stats that relate to a topic you're discussing and visualize them in a certain way and pitch that to journalists with a story because data is often really hard to digest for the average person. So if you can take some data, create a story around it, that's really relevant to your brand and explain it in a way that's really digestible. That can work quite well and be quite cheap and efficient. Another good thing to do is if your CEO or MD or someone kind of higher up in the company has something to add to a conversation. Again, it has to be really relevant to the brand. You can't just go talking about any old thing if you don't have a clue what you're talking about. Um, but doing things like that, so thought leadership pieces and blogs, they can work really well as well, especially in niche publications. So. You know for example if you're if you're one of your clients or if you as a business are a construction company and you're commenting on some new policies that have come in if you write a thought leadership piece on the CEO's expert opinion on that and then you can pitch that to more niche press like trade press that can be a really great way to get a backlink to your to your site and then I guess another top tip would be to be aware of awareness days so sometimes this is overdone um there are awareness days for literally everything including like bread not quite sure we need all of them but for a lot of brands it's a great thing to jump onto and that can be in terms of social engagement but also from a link building perspective as well so kind of using free online tools like awarenessday.co.uk so just create a content calendar based on those days for the year be really prepared and put out comments or statements or small graphics to the press and just try and kind of lift your brand up really. So there's, there's already quite a few ways there that you can start getting mm. your name out there and getting press to kind of comment and link back.
0: Definitely. Um, and to jump on your point there about awareness days on Twitter, I see a lot of journalists using the hashtag. I think it's PR request or journey request. I see journos like looking for or asking for people's opinions, people's stories, people's experiences and the likelihood that cuz obviously if you're giving them valuable good content or a good quote or your thoughts you've got some currency there because you can then negotiate a backlink. So if you're if you're giving the magazine or the journalist what they want then they're going to listen when when you
1: ask for something back in return yeah 100 percent. and in, in terms of potentially businesses that have less resources or less budget to do that kind of stuff all that really relies on is being aware of those in that case hashtags but also just being aware of the press so Reactive outreach is something we do a huge amount of um, and it's really effective. So, this is something that I used to do a lot of in traditional PR, but I do it in digital as well. So, you know, the coronavirus is a great example. So, obviously, the press is super saturated with the one story that is coronavirus. And whether you're working in health or trade or literally any sector of the press right now is dominated by it, it's affecting everything. So, If your brand has something relevant to say or it has um, a comment that is really helpful to a reader and to a journalist, then that can be a quite, you know, quite an easy way to to jump on something. So it's called news jacking when you're kind of taking the current story of the day and adding your kind of two pence in. However, Mm. there's a massive caveat (laughs) because there's a little bit too much of that going on at the minute, in my opinion. and. I think a few other PRs would agree. There's been a few kind of articles and things written by PRs in the last few weeks because you do really need to be relevant. If you're not, it can be very tone deaf and actually quite damaging to a brand. Mm. Um, I think coronavirus is obviously a big example. But, you know, for example, when it was kind of early days and travel was starting to stop, then... A travel insurance company, for example, could have offered something really credible and important to a journalist for them to offer to their readers. And of course, with that comes a mention or a backlink or whatever it is, because you're ultimately the expert in that field. But Amy Sparrow, actually, uh, from Blu-ray, wrote a really great piece on this, just of how to know if you're relevant. And basically, if you're not credible in that area, it's definitely best to stay quiet. But on the yes. whole we do a lot of reactive outreach because because
0: I suppose there where right, you're saying that it can be damaging from it for a brand if you come across as not really knowing or 100% like you're correct in what you're saying and you're just looking like you're jumping on the bandwagon yeah. that is not good that is not good good at all and you've also got to be careful about how your brand is perceived because the big I mean the coronavirus bit of a like yeah like you said it's affecting. Everyone, it's affecting every every aspect aspect of life right now. Mm. So it is dominating most of the um, different like topics and subjects that are being written about. But you've just got to be very careful that you, you're not coming across as you're capitalising on on something bad or that you're actually trying to be helpful or you're actually giving advice and you're not just trying to jump on something um, because it's going to give you awareness do you know what
1: I mean I think exactly. yeah yeah if you're for a perfume brand, don't comment on coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> like, there are certain brands that will just never work for that kind of thing. Um, exactly. So just think about that and not shoehorning yourself in just to be part of the conversation and get coverage.
0: So you've given us some really good examples there of like how how digital PR link building can be done on a very small budget. I think now what would be good to sort of go through and get into is so what if you've sort of decided on a campaign you've put a plan together and you're implementing it and it's it, and you're rolling it out so the next couple of questions are about what to do if that campaign's not doing so well so my first question is when do you bin and when do you revamp
1: yeah uh, it's a good question I mean, if you've worked really hard on some data and copy and you've worked with designers and developers, especially if it is one of those, you know, bigger set pieces, which ultimately cost more to to make, it's pretty heartbreaking if you can a piece. Um, It's it's one of the reasons that at Aero we try and make all of our campaigns quite evergreen because... If they potentially don't work the first time or they don't land for whatever reason, then we can work on it and pick it back up and try and make it succeed in a variation of ways. So the opposite of that, I guess, would be putting loads of money and budget into something for Valentine's Day. If that doesn't land by the 14th of February and you haven't hit link target or or whatever your kind of measurements are for success, then you're kind of done with that piece. So first of all, we make sure that our pieces are evergreen and that we do have the opportunity to revamp. I think in terms of what we would do, there's a few things we look at. So we would look at the data. So was the data from a credible source? Did it feel up to date? Was it relevant? Is there anything else we can add to the data? And can we kind of refresh that in any way? That's a quite a, a kind of efficient and easy way of updating a piece and trying to make it succeed the next thing we would potentially do is look at the design so is the graphic that we're using to show that data just not working you know is it is there a way that we can simplify it or do we need to kind of add anything to it at all so that's something else we'd look at with our designer and then ultimately it's for me the biggest thing you can change to have an impact on whether that campaign's landing and getting links and coverage is looking at the pitch The pitch email for me is like the most vital part of the step. You can have the best data in the world. You can have the best visual. But if that story doesn't feel strong or relevant, or if it doesn't have like a newsworthy hook, it's going to be really difficult to get any cut through. So i definitely assess that and kind of have a look if I've pulled out all of the relevant stats or if there's anything else, or again, any awareness days I can hook it onto or anything in the press that would make it feel more relevant. And then another great way, which... Again, is one of my kind of favorites and something that I try and bring to most campaigns, even early on, is adding case studies. So, can I go out on Twitter and find someone that this is relevant to? So, I don't know, for example, you do a piece on success rates of dating on Tinder, for example. <laughs> like, find a few people who have had some really great experiences of that. Find some people that have had terrible ones, ask them a few questions... And all of a sudden you've got like those real life stories that Mm. lifestyle journalists specifically really like. And it just brings the whole piece to life, having those comments from actual people rather than, for example, survey data.
0: Yeah I suppose having actual real stories makes it real (laughs) and if you make content more real people can relate to it and connect with it more and that is so important nowadays with the swarms of content and articles and and things out there and what you're competing with you need a way to to connect and make sure that your content is resonating and pulling people in. Yeah
1: absolutely and again I think the, the easiest thing if your campaign isn't doing very well the easiest two things to do there is to either rewrite the pitch and you know try a bit of a b testing see which one gets the most success mm. um, or, to, or to add additional stuff to it so don't immediately go to redesigning it because that can cost a lot of money with a designer or don't initially like pull all of the data again because again that's quite time consuming just add a few extra bits see if you can get a little bit more traction by adding some mm. additional information for journalists to use well there might be a different angle or um, a different story or yeah like a different subject line completely changes the success of a campaign because if you go out with you know 30 emails with a subject line and none of them land if if that's not worked then and you can try another one and just just experiment see what happens obviously you don't want to be spamming the same journalist <laughs> the same pitch time and time again but it's just thinking a little bit tactically about it and trying to work out what works so we did some A B testing error and established that using a journalist name in the storyline and the subject as well as using story tip for so it would be story tip for jasmine and then ah. whatever the headline is things like using like numbers statistics within The subject line seems to work really well too. So it's kind of testing these things over time and working out what works. Mm, Definitely, definitely. So do you think that there are common
0: themes or common sort of issues with why campaigns fail?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, as we said at the beginning, I'm a media relations specialist that's what i love i love talking to journalists and that comes from the traditional side of my background (laughs) um so i'm gonna say going to the wrong journalist is a is a key reason why campaigns sometimes don't land so just completely going to people that aren't relevant not spending the time on a media list initially to really work out if these people are going to care about your story Mm. um again content that isn't evergreen sometimes they fail because you're not giving yourself enough time to launch them and pitch them and if they've got an end date and a sell by date, then you're ultimately gonna limit your chance of success. And you know, it does work sometimes, I'm not saying never do a campaign that's hooked on a specific day, but just give yourself enough time to really warm journalists up and make sure that you're giving yourself enough time and a chance. But I think, really, they either come down to the source not being credible enough and a journalist not being willing to use it, the story not being strong enough, so not having a newsworthy hook, And again, just not going to the right people. If you send, you can go to 100 journalists and if they're not interested, quite often they just won't reply. So sometimes you're not quite sure what you've done wrong, but it's just that it's not relevant and they can often tell even from the subject line that it's just not up their stream. So going back then to a point about sort of relationships
0: is, is it important then to build relationships with journalists? Is it is it more of a case of working on the content and your offering and making that so sort of sexy, as it were, people can't say no? Or is it important to sort of build the relationship?
1: I think it's a real mix of two, to be, the two, to be honest. I think ultimately, if you've got good content and if you're, sending something really relevant and sexy as you say to a journalist and <laughs> that is relationship building because it's showing them that you've taken the time to make sure that that's the kind of content they want and that they're relevant which shows that you've taken the time to really research the kind of stuff that they like so that's relationship building in itself in the same way that spending a long time on a pitch email and personalizing it to a specific journalist is a relationship building tool because it shows an element hmm. of of respect for their time and that you're not just you know sending this one pitch out to 100 different journalists and just hoping that this sticks to someone and having a real spray and pray approach which I don't agree with (laughs) at all. In terms of building relationships yeah I do think it's important and you can speak to journalists without offering them anything or without pitching anything to them and there's kind of a few different ways to do that I guess so Twitter is a really great place to build those relationships in a really genuine way you know, I, I never go out of my way to build a relationship with a journalist to get coverage. That's not really my, my end goal. It's that ultimately PRs and journalists are in the same industry. There's often a little bit of friction between them based on what I deem as bad PRs personally. Um, and bad, bad habits that I know people have done because you see journalists calling them out on Twitter. Um, yeah, which is, I wouldn't want to be on the end of that, to be honest. <laughs> Luckily, I never have been. Good. That's good to know. Yeah. But I think just being genuine with journalists offering them case studies so again you mentioned it earlier about those hashtags of journal request pr request journalists use them to help them with their work. So there's been a few different times where a journalist has asked for a particular case study where I've offered a quote or a comment, or I've just had a conversation with them. So Mm. one was about how my dog has helped me suffer, well, I suffer with anxiety, so how my dog has helped me through that. So a picture of my dog on Huffington Post, which is really cool. (laughs) Then uh, I actually answered a question about, I watch friends to fall to sleep too. So that was some someone was asking about I think it was on the anniversary or something so it's kind of giving them things outside of pitches as well and not always just asking for something in return just giving them information giving them what they're asking for in a really genuine and honest way Um, you know if if a piece that a journalist has written resonates with me I tell them because often I think journalism is probably quite a thankless job so, mm. as people, as as people who are within this space and navigating it with them, it's really important to show a bit of appreciation. And again, not off the back of pitching something and trying to get something back for it, but just being genuinely kind. And, you know. As, as complimentary as you can be within, within a kind of genuine way yeah and, I, and then I suppose as well is the more that you
0: sort of build on a relationship that you have with a journalist the more trust that they have with you and the more likely they are to like choose your content and stuff so but you do yeah you do have to give them time and yeah so I suppose we are saying that relationships are sort of key here have you got any tips then because because I'm guessing there's there's quite a few times where you'll have like a good relationship with a journalist or someone back in the day but for some reason yeah it's gone cold or you stopped talking or something like that so you got any tips on like revamping old relationships and how you can make the most out of them
1: yeah I mean I think the key there is to try and not not let them go cold initially Obviously, that's, that's an easy thing to say. But again, Twitter is a great way of doing that, whether it's like retweeting some, a piece that they've written that you really liked or you know, tell them telling them done a good job, even just liking the things that they've done. Just mm. keeping that, keep, I guess, keeping your name in the hat, really. So it, again, it, it needs to be done in a really genuine way. I don't go through every evening liking every single journalist post because that would just be so transparent and awkward that I'd feel too embarrassed to speak to them ever again. It's just being active with them and checking in to see if there's anything you can do and i guess the the goal is some a journalist coming to you so recently a journalist came to me for a comment from one of my clients i didn't even go to her so it's building the relationship to the point where they know that your client is the expert in that area and that you're the middleman for them to get to them essentially and to to kind of make that bridge that gap and make that easier for them i think if you haven't spoken to a journalist for a really long time and you've got a piece that you think would be relevant just acknowledging it in the email of saying kind of you know long time no speak how are you like finding out how they are first, not diving straight in and pretending that you've never had a relationship i know a few people will follow up on a really old thread on an email so if that thread ended in a really positive way of great that's gone live now thank you you know all of those nice things at the end of a conversation when you're pitching you could always follow up on that thread and be like hey it's been a while since we last spoke about x campaign that you used i know you liked that one maybe you'll like this that i've got so you can do that as well, but I would say just checking in. So and I don't do this with a, a lot of journalists because quite frankly, their inboxes are very full. And I don't I don't really think a journalist would want you to just kind of check in every now and again just to keep that relationship warm. But if you do build a really solid relationship, it's worth keeping that going. And that can just be through Twitter. It doesn't need to be as formal as an email. I suppose I suppose the great thing about the the twenty first century is the the fact that we've got so
0: much te- technology and so many different ways to keep connected with one one another. It doesn't just have to be emails, does it? You've got you've got loads of different ways of staying connected, and and I suppose even just like showing a interest in not just like journalist and things related to that side of their life But if they do sort of post about other things more about their personal life or about an yeah. achievement or they've done something for charity and they want support if you can give them a phone fa- do you know what I mean it's about being yeah. authentic and forget
1: that they're journalists like they're, yeah. just, they're just normal people so it's the same way that I'd build a relationship with you know another PR on Twitter it- Like you say, if they're if they're doing something cool and they want to retweet, then help them out. But it's now there's been a few times where I've seen on Twitter say that a journalist is moving house, for example, or they're going through some sort of transition, whether it's they're pregnant or whatever it is, you know, acknowledging that in the pitch and making sure they're aware that, you know, that their lives are important and they're not just people that you want something from. They're just people. So have a conversation Mm -hmm. with them as you would anyone else, really
0: awesome so people relationships are important yes. so moving on then favorite pr campaign you have seen and why
1: so this was a really hard one because there's <laughs> just so many. i listened to um jess's episode and i know she mentioned pr example digital pr examples on twitter and content curated by mark definitely definitely go on those and subscribe and follow those because the best way to come up with ideas is being inspired by other ones. But I think if I had to pick one recent, quite recent one, it would be the Pornhub campaign <laughs> about dirty beaches <laughs> because I just think for a, I mean, Pornhub have great PR. They do really, really great digital PR, and it's not the kind of company you would maybe expect to do such great things. But they did a piece which was basically raising awareness of plastic pollution and the state of our beaches by grabbing people's attention and they achieved it. So it caused a little bit of controversy. I think the general consensus was that it was a great yeah last stunt, but I loved it. I thought it was quite new and fresh and a little bit risky, but for I me, mean, my campaigns always have some risk.
0: I mean there is that age old saying all oh, PR is good PR. And and I think if you're if you can be sort of a bit ballsy, if you're like obviously Pornhub they, they, <laughs> I mean, excuse the pun, but yeah, with Pornhub, they know who they are. They know who their audience is. They're not afraid to talk about things that matter to them. So if they can do it in a way that grabs people's attention, then great, go for it. And I do think some companies are just a bit scared. Um, yeah. And I know we were saying before that jumping on the bandwagon of things, of, of like things that are happening, you've got to be careful of but I I do think some businesses can be a bit too wary sometimes a bit like oh we can't do that because that's not the right way or they'll find so many excuses of why not and it's like oh come on like at the end of the day we are all human we all have emotions we all want to laugh we all want to like be shocked we all want well we don't want to cry but that that's an emotion (laughs) and you've just gotta like yeah businesses and companies and brands the most successful ones that i see are the ones that have got that nailed and and they've they've got humanity behind is that the right way of saying it they they've got a characteristic or there's a yeah. there's the human side relevant, of them
1: yeah. yeah and i think it does depend on the brand like i mean if an insurance company came out and did something like this then potentially you know it's the link to the brand that's always important is it relevant and does it yeah. feel natural to them so for Pornhub to do this it it was I, I don't think for, well for me it wasn't shocking I know for some people it was shocking um but I just thought it was quite clever and hmm. it raised a really interesting point you know they, they've done similar things before and I think as long as you're the kind of brand that can have a bit of fun and be a little bit different and everyone like you say there's that expectation that you're gonna maybe take a bit of a of a risk then great, do it. There's certain mm-hmm. brands that I would wouldn't advise to do something quite as out there. Um, <laughs> but again, it comes it comes down to relevancy. And for them, I just thought they nailed it, and it got so much traction. Yeah, so relevancy
0: is key here. Going to put you a bit on the spot.
1: Worst PR campaign you've seen? Oh, again just as many bad ones <laughs> as good ones <laughs> um, is that how you're
0: getting like out of that question just by that
1: that answer no no I, I am going to pick one so it, it wasn't necessarily like a digital PR campaign like the Pornhub one was um but I think in terms of just something that I completely missed the mark it was I don't know if you well you probably saw it but it was the you do the girl boss thing we'll do mm. the thing by people per hour
0: yes 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 I did
1: made my skin crawl I just I cringed so badly and Ruth Walker actually did a really great piece I think it was on HuffPost she kind of got I think she got in touch with HuffPost and brought it to their attention and it went pretty big I, I mean as a as a person in SEO it was obviously super relevant it was as women in SEO it was really relevant but I just think anything like that, if you're doing stuff like that in 2020 or 2019, I can't remember when it was, but you've got to be assessing who is making some big decisions because there's no way a woman put that out. Yeah, um, definitely. And, and I just
0: think, so if we, if we think about what we can learn from that, it's just sort of like understanding where we are in today's society. Did you, uh, was it punk? You know, the beer punk yeah, type it or something like that. They came out with a pink beer for for girls, and people saying that was a bit right. stereotypical. And um, I think it was something. I think they tied it in with International Women's Day or something. But you've just got to be so so careful, and yeah. you've got to you've got to think of it of like how is this going to come across? And surely, a company like People Per Hour, they have the money to sort of do a bit of. Baiting. Beta testing, beta testing, and sort of, but just sort of like, why, why did no one flag anything up there? And I just, yeah, it just, I mean,
1: mind boggles. I don't know how many people that went through, but for someone to not flag that, some, I mean, someone must have been ignored in terms of the pink beer thing. I mean. For me, like, I think it's it's just a bit of a shit idea, if I'm honest. I don't think it's... It doesn't offend me as a woman. Uh, I'm not a fan of pink, so it's not something... I am a fan of beer, so that would have missed out on a consumer there. I wouldn't have bought it. But, I mean, I can see why people would think, oh, it's not, very, you know, it's not very modern. It's a little bit dated in terms of thinking that women just like pink. But I think what People Per Hour did, which really, I mean... I hate the phrase girl boss it makes me cringe a lot mm-hmm. uh, but saying we'll do the SEO thing kind of assuming that you know you can't do both I just think they completely missed the mark I I mean I didn't find it offensive to the point where I was like livid <laughs> I just kind of I was just like what have they done like why would you do that it was just it was just silly really um, um, I've- I, I, I learned the lesson I've, I
0: have just quickly Googled the brew dog. It was, yeah, brew dog's Tose pink brew beer. Dog. And apparently it was meant to be like sarcasm. And it was to sort of like bring up the, like, enough with stereotypes. So apparently they were doing it as a bit of tongue in cheek. Yeah,
1: but I didn't obviously- actually see that one. I think it's all to do with tone, isn't it? If you If you miss the tone and people don't get that, that there is a sense of irony there, then you've just wasted so much money and you're gonna potentially get a bit of a backlash. Um, well, yeah, I suppose it's like I don't know where my brain's gone
0: here, but hold like hang on with me for a moment. But if you have to explain a joke, it's instantly not funny, is it? Yeah. So, so yeah, if you it is that. if you have to explain irony or sarcasm of a campaign, it's not obvious
1: enough, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. If you have to explain a, a PR campaign, that it's not a PR campaign. <laughs> completely, you've completely lost everyone at that point. So uh, it's uh, a waste of money. That's just 101, isn't it? Yeah,
0: it really is. Awesome. Right. So I've got a few more questions, a couple more, just looking at the time. And then we'll uh, move on to the feature. Because obviously you are, have been prepped that you, there is a feature. up. Yes. So what is the most important thing to take away from today's episode?
1: I think probably whether you're a small company or you've got a kind of larger budget, just to not overestimate, you know, that there's so much you can do within PR and more digital. You don't have to do those huge glossy campaigns with a little bit of of creativity and a little bit of thinking or some expert comments. It's a really good opportunity to get your name in the press, to get backlinks to your site. And in terms of how to do that, having those relationships with journalists, just being a kind and genuine person to them and kind of not sending pictures to everyone and being quite specific with who you go to basically it's all just about thinking about it and taking a little bit of time to plan um I know that's a lot of things to take from from this one episode but yeah I think just kind of stick to something simple if you're not too sure of how to do those big pieces and just concentrate on making it really relevant to who you're going to Awesome, who has inspired you in your career? um i uh, I mean it would just have to be a massive shout out at era for error. I think from the person I was when I started at error to now is massively different so both Matt and Paddy the the co-founders are just amazing in the industry and as people and then Shannon as well and there was of a mentor as well as Aoife so but the whole team you was know, it's such a lovely place to work and such a, a team of diverse skills and knowledge I've just learned such a huge amount mm-hmm. and then we've got the opportunity to work with people like Mark Johnston as a creative consultant so yeah I've just had so many opportunities to go to events and meet people so they would definitely have to be the kind of main inspiration for driving me forward I think.
0: Three people to follow on either LinkedIn or Twitter.
1: Okay so I think From a PR point of view, David White is great. He's always sharing tons of really actionable PR tips. Um, Will Hobson, he's a bit of a king when it comes to reactive outreach, which is something I was talking about earlier. He's always, again, got great tips. Uh, Jessica Pardo as well. I've quite literally never known a blogger who gets content out as quick as she does. So, (laughs) For example, if there is a really bad PR campaign, there will be a blog about it. Within an hour and a half, it's pretty, pretty special. Um, and Amy Sparrow too I mentioned her earlier and she's written some really great pieces about people kind of jumping on the bandwagon but I'm just going to mention one outside of the PR or SEO yeah. as well which is Kirsty Hulse from Raw Training um, yes yeah just an inspirational and amazing woman to follow uh, and hilarious as well she's so, yeah. so funny yeah, I do yeah. like
0: her. I saw her last year at Search Leeds and she was just
1: hilarious. Um, yeah, and i am have lo- looking up to do a few of her workshops now and meet her a few times and at events and stuff as well. So, yeah, I just think she's so knowledgeable and I've done a lot of speaking in the last year and that's all really thanks to her. And to her. so, yeah.
0: Cool. Big, 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 love. big love. Big <laughs> love.
1: Favourite SEO slash PR tool? Yeah, this is a funny one because it kind of depends what you're doing within the digital PR process. That um, is such a stereotypical SEO answer. there. Isn't know, it? It, it depends. depends. <laughs> um, so, in terms of, I guess, link tracking, which is where tools come in really handy for kind of measurable stuff, Ahrefs and Majestic is what I tend to use, but. Again, for those smaller budgets or those clients or uh, companies that can't really spend a load on a designer, something like Infogram. So um, my colleague introduced introduces all to this. She's an absolute whiz when it comes to design stuff and data. And you can take a really simple piece of data, visualize it in a really cool way, pop a picture around it in a story. And that's a great thing to send to a journalist. So nice, easy and quick tool to use.
0: Lovely. And then the last one, do you have a question for me?
1: Well, the question that we ask everyone when they start error is oh whether you're a cat or a dog person, cats or dogs. Dogs. Yeah, 100% correct. <laughs> well done. Do I, do I win? Yeah, you win. The other question that, when we in your application form for error, you have to answer a question. So I want to know what your answer would be. So one question we get asked is, in a fight, who would win? A pirate or a ninja oh i've never been asked that question before and i need, I need a why as well a pirate or a ninja yep.
0: um well a ninja because a ninja like if you're a good ninja I mean not that I really know much about <laughs> ninjas but I'm guessing that like one of the principles of a ninja is attacking and not being like sort of seen before it happens so yeah. you're quite stealthy so mm-hmm. a ninja because yeah before you know it it's too late and boom the ninja's there yeah. and 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 you're on the ground i agree and also pirates <laughs> are always drunk so it would be really easy to confuse a pirate but one thing when you are drunk you do have super strength or you can you can do things that you like for example Whenever I'm a little bit tipsy or a little bit drunk, I I wanna I get really good at
1: pool. Okay. Like yeah, playing that's right, pool. Actually. pool and darts. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But sober, awful. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe it heightens
0: some sort of sense. There we go. So so it depends. <laughs> it depends
1: again, yeah, always.
0: Awesome, right. It brings us to my favourite part of the podcast, and it's the feature. Oh, God. <laughs>
1: it me
0: so, before today, I asked you, if you were to go on Mastermind, what would your specialist subject be? And what did you say?
1: Well, first of all, I would never go on Mastermind. <laughs> because I don't think I'm particularly great under pressure, which you're about to see. But my subject was friends, as in right. the show. Just my personal friends. <laughs> that, would be, that, very niche. <laughs> that would be really niche and
0: people would be like, what? Yes, so Friends the Show. So, yes, so I've got a couple of questions. And yes, we'll just see how you do and see how well you know Friends. Okay, I'm ready. First question. Monica briefly dates billionaire Pete Becker. Which country does he take her for their first date? Is it France Italy, England or Greece Italy, I think it's Rome Oh yes And you got the bonus point Because the bonus point was I'm oh, sorry when she where. So that's yeah. so you get two points Okay, good start Okay, doing well Good start Rachel was popular in high school Her prom date, Chip, ditched her For which girl at school? Oh this God, is a bit gosh, hard Sally Roberts Amy Welsh Or Valerie Thompson Okay
1: a- Amy Welsh Yes Yes Did you know just, that? Like, well I wouldn't uh, If that wasn't a multiple choice answer I would not have been able to say it But as soon as I heard I could hear it in Rachel's little whiny voice With her big dress uh, I really want you to do
0: a Yeah And uh, Moving on Moving on <laughs> Um, what's the name of the 1950s-themed diner where Monica worked as a waitress? Is it Marilyn and Audrey, Twilight Galaxy, or Moondance Diner?
1: Oh, that is a hard one. By the way, you've gone all really early series here. I'm going to go to the third one, Moondance. Yes. That was, I mean... I was a bit of a guess, to be honest, but it just felt like the most obvious one. Hey, you should have just gone with it and been
0: like, I am 100% certain. Okay, how are you doing with this one? Janice gets married twice. What was her first husband's name? Gary Littman, Sid Goralnik, or Rob Bailey Stock? I'm going for the first one. Gary? It's Sid.
1: Oh, no! (laughs) That was the first one you were going for, like... Is that that the Mattress King guy? The first husband. I don't have that information. sorry. (laughs) I think it is. I think he's the guy that owns the Mattress King store. Never mind. Okay, so... Ursula was always
0: mean. Which cartoon character was on Phoebe's Thermos that Ursula threw under a bus? Was it Pebbles Flintstone, Judy Jetson, Bullwinkle, or Yogi Bear?
1: Oh my God, that is such a hard question. Um, I go Yogi Bear.
0: Unfortunately, the answer I was after was Judy, Judy Jetson. Okay,
1: that wasn't even my second option, so that's fine.
0: What's Joey's penguin's name? Snowflake, Waddle, or Hugsy? Hugsy, 100%. Yeah. I feel like I shouldn't have given you options there because that was. Would...
1: Oh, I thought you did pause and I was like, <laughs> 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 I don't want to get cocky and answer it before the multiple. <laughs> the next one I won't be able to do that for.
0: When Ross and Rachel were on a break, Ross slept with Chloe. Where did Chloe work? Was it. Oh, I think
1: I can do this one without multiple questions. Go on then. Well, she she worked in two different places. So, but the the printing shop. Yes, Xerox. Yeah, that's the one with the yeah. Uh, yeah, it's the whole backstory of how Rachel found out. It's because they all know each other.
0: Yes, everyone's like interlinked, aren't they, or linked yeah. somehow?
1: All the way to Gunther, Chandler's I mum. I I'm just realizing how often <laughs> I watch Friends. It's just getting embarrassing.
0: Chandler's mum had an interesting career and even more interesting love life. What's her name? Priscilla May Galway, Nora Tyler Bing, or Mary Jane Bing?
1: Oh, can I have the options again, please?
0: Priscilla May Galway, Nora Tyler Bing, Mary Jane Bing.
1: Nora, it's Nora Tyler Bing, I think.
0: Yes.
1: There you
0: go. Well done. Right. Two more questions. Okay. How are you feeling? I'm sweating, it's very nerve wracking <laughs> I'm ready Name and artist of the theme tune I'm not going to give you like um, multiple choice here Say that again, sorry The name and artist of the, of the theme tune
1: Oh, the Rembrandts
0: Yes, and I'm the there. name I'll
1: be there for you Yeah Good, good karaoke tune and <laughs> never done it. Never done it as a karaoke. Everyone um, knows the words, so everyone joins in.
0: <laughs> what fake name does Phoebe use when she wants to remain anonymous? Right. Do you want the options or do you feel confident that you could just answer?
1: Oh, I really should be able to know this. Oh, I'm going to be so annoyed. Hang on. Uh, Regina Falange? Yes. Falangi? Because yes. there's that on the plane. There's no phalange. Yeah. That's, yes. Yep. Nailed it.
0: Oh, right. Shall I see? Right. Entertain yourself while I do some maths, and that's to, to everyone, not just Calm myself down. Take 6 7, So, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Right. So there was ten questions. Mm-hmm. Eleven in the bonus point which you yeah. just said anyway so out of 11 you got two, three five six
1: seven eight nine i'll take that
0: i mean that's all right under a pressured situation i'll take that there we go nine out of 11 i would be proud if i were you that's
1: that's pretty good
0: I'm happy <laughs> that. um now we usually, or sometimes we try and think of a forfeit, but kind of, we've been doing the podcast for over a year now, and we're sort of like running out of forfeits. So, I mean, you won, so it means that I would have to do a forfeit. Have you got a forfeit for me?
1: Oh, God, that's a lot of pressure.
0: Um, I know. I mean, I am sorry. I mean, you can say no if it's would, too much. You have to tweet a
1: baby picture of yourself. I have to tweet a baby picture of myself. Yeah, you can do it after the record after it goes out, after the podcast goes out. Okay. Then after it goes out, then you have to tweet that. I will do that. <laughs> from
0: from which from S-E-O-S-A-S or myself or both? Oh, from both. <laughs>
1: that was a no-brainer, really, wasn't it? I mean it? you you walked into that one. I wasn't gonna make it both, but you gave me the option. <laughs> Well,
0: sadly, Jasmine, that's the end of this week's SEO SAS podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, I'm glad. And I really enjoyed discussing that. And I thought we got some stuff off our chest and we really delved into the subject there. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, yes, thank you. I think this is going to be such a good, valuable episode for our listeners. So, Jasmine, if people want to find you how do they do that where where are you are you
1: up to anything tell us Um, well i was going to be speaking at a few events but unfortunately um (laughs) probably not not for some time now but if you do want to get in touch then i'm pretty active on twitter so it's just at grant and jasmine Uh, happy to answer any questions or just have a chat awesome cool yes i need to do
0: my admin now don't i so you can follow the podcast on twitter at seo underscore sas me and hannah are both on twitter sarah mcduck and seo sas hannah we're both on linkedin and we have an email address so if you want to drop us an email about coming onto the show or you've got a topic suggestion or you just want to say hello you know connecting building relationships and that is hello at seosaspodcast.com one last ask if you think we're worth it it'd be super awesome if you could leave us a review on your podcast playing platform because yes reviews help our podcast get under more noses and it just let us know that we're doing an alright job at this podcast. So I think that's all. Is there anything else, Jasmine? No, all good. All good, right? So um I think the only thing left to say is goodbye, stay safe, look after yourself, and wash them hands. Yeah. Stay indoors, stay indoors, people, and listen to binge. Binge listening to S-E-R-S-A-S. There we go. Right. Goodbye.